You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and visual. That's right, audio and visual coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and joining me, John Duke. And it's been a couple of weeks, John. Happy New Year. You know this is my year, the year of number 17. 2017, my lucky number. Uh, as, as, as it were with the championship number 17. So we're finally there. I hope you had a great Christmas and, uh, getting ready to get ramped back up coming out of the holiday. Right on. I mean, look, hey, th- I think we're all glad to see that as all of the people that, that <laughs> we all have been watching and listening and, and everything. It seemed like everybody was, uh, not a good year for, for, fans of, of other people, whether it was Prince or David Bowie or or Princess Leia for Christ's sakes. It was it was a real nightmare, uh especially to the end. So, you know, I'm glad to see we all made it to seventeen and, and now let's hope we can we can turn the page from banner seventeen to banner eighteen this year. Yeah, hopefully. It it you know, it's gonna take a deal. It is absolutely going to take a deal, but it is nice to see this team on a bit of a roll because literally for every show so far this year, you and I have sort of said, well, they're really not quite themselves yet. And and I'm not ready to say that they're 100% themselves, but they are, or I, they're 100% themselves, but have they achieved their potential yet? No, but now that the starting lineup is healthy, They've done a nice string of wins. I know we talked to Mike Gorman uh, and Adam Kaufman, two bonus interviews after <clears throat> after our last show, and um, you know things were really starting to get back on track, which was nice. Then obviously Isaiah Thomas just completely blows up. Blows up. He went supernova. You know, it was it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, let, let's let's maybe take them one at a time here. And all due credit to what we saw from Russell Westbrook. Okay. I think that needs to be said first and foremost. He went, he went to a place I hadn't seen since LeBron, uh, took the Celtics to the shed in, in the 2011 Easter Conference Finals. I mean, that was, that was an epic performance. I mean, LeBron did it for 48 minutes or for as long as he needed to, but what Westbrook did, he went, to another place 
there and that game there right before Christmas. But credit due, first of all, 44 points. And then to follow up a week later, Isaiah comes back with 52, 29 in the fourth, only two off the NBA record set by Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain when he went for a hundred points back in, in the mid sixties. I mean, that, that was an, an unbelievable performance, an unbelievable performance. And they don't get that win without Isaiah kind of going to that place because the Celtics were playing pretty listless ball. They weren't playing well. Uh, you know, Bradley obviously was out, uh, and they just were not playing great game, great ball that night. I was glad to see that that he that that he had another gear. I just didn't think it, took, it was going to have to take 52 points against a listless team, a really poor team in the Miami Heat. But hey, well, such as he it said, is, we got the W. He said we're going to find we're going to win this game. We have to win it. It's a must win. And really, the Heat not really that healthy this season themselves. They've definitely struggled not necessarily just because Dwayne Wade is now in Chicago and we'll get to that in a minute as well but just Justice Winslow can't stay healthy I just cannot stay healthy and then Hassan Whiteside gets a little shiner and so he's actually missing his first game uh, as a result of the the eye injury against the Celtics um and then Dion Waiters, who was putting on a nice start to the season, has struggled. So that team definitely not awesome, but they also have a decent amount of depth. Tyler Johnson had a nice night as well. A lot of players on that club kind of stepping up uh, against the Celtics, but you're right. It was a little bit listless for sure. And I also think that the Celtics uh in that game, what I want to say to credit Isaiah Thomas was the fact that even though he had this monster 52-point game, and I know all the articles talk about how his teammates were encouraging him, but he really did not hog the ball in the fourth quarter for those 29 points. It was still sort of distributing, and that's not something, if you remember that first uh, postseason playoff run when they faced Cleveland in the first round when Isaiah was first traded here uh, a few years ago, there was a lot of hogging from Isaiah, and despite his 52 points, there was nothing about that that didn't look like a team effort as they were closing it out. He was the only one hitting shots, but there was nothing about the way they were moving the ball and who was taking the shots that made it look like Isaiah was being a ball hog, John. Yeah, well, and they needed it. You know, there was there was no doubt. It wasn't a situation where the team, his teammates were were open and he was keeping it. And you know, there's a you know, the, the extra pass wasn't there. No, they needed him to do just what he did, and and that's good. It's that's that's good to to see that because you know I think that you always worry about a guy who is so ball dominant and so uh, so such a big piece of what they do in the fourth quarter and, and their team in, in total and, and for to see him be able to put that set of effort together but within the team concept that's huge I think however there maybe is another question which is I'd like to see the Celtics a little less reliant on him on, on Isaiah having to come through in the fourth quarter whether it's it's the game against the the Thunder which they didn't come through with or certainly the game against the Heat where they did I'd rather have these be a little bit more rare and have really much more of team scoring team effort allowing them to to pull these out it feels like they have to go to the Isaiah well more than they really should have to yeah no that's true but 
at the same time we knew that was going to be the case. He's the only player that really takes it into the paint, which is so funny because he's the only, he's the shortest player on the team. I know I don't have to say that and it almost is just getting disgusting hearing everybody talk about his stature, but, but, if anybody on this team should struggle getting into the paint, it should be Isaiah. He's the only one with any excuse. We have seen Kelly Olenek, I think, be more aggressive than in the past. He still needs to continue to be aggressive yeah. and still assert himself even more than he already has because he needs to continue to learn how defenses are – he doesn't have the leaping ability, so he's always got to be crafty when he's inside the paint. But it's nice to see him down there doing it. Sometimes he gets blocked, swatted, rejected, looks ugly. And other times he makes a nice little finesse move or a little extra pass. Whatever he does, maybe a little up fake. But at the end of the day, they do need more people to be aggressive to the rim. Jay Crowder should be that guy. We haven't seen that yet. We'll talk about that some more. But real quick, a reminder to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. The Facebook page is Facebook.com forward slash CLNS Fans. And download the app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Radio in your app marketplace and go to YouTube.com forward slash CLNS Radio for the YouTube channel. High definition, full-length locker room interviews, and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. And for 2017, we have added yet another sponsor, and that is really because of you, the listeners, continuing to download the show. We've had record numbers since John and I came back. And it's really showing up with the sponsors. Zip Recruiter is a different sponsor than we've had. We've had Blue Apron and Audible who are going to continue with their sponsorships in 2017. But Zip Recruiter, it's the new year, which means a fresh start for your business. And a great year starts with great hires. But posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire you got to post your job on all of the top job sites. And now you can because with ZipRecruiter, you can jumpstart your hiring in 2017. Post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with just one single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You can screen the candidates very quickly. You can rate them and hire that right person quickly. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sportsfan. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sportsfan. You know what, John? I want to talk a little bit about Chicago because we just talked about Dwayne Wade going to the Windy City. And now Rajon Rondo is on the bench. He's suffering. And I think maybe the media loves to prey on guys like Rajon Rondo because he's got that Bill Belichickian callous way of dealing with the media. But it really does go back all the way to his days in Kentucky and Tubby Smith. The rumors came out in that draft that part of the reason he wasn't selected high, not only was it the jump shot that was a question mark, but his ability to get along with coaches. Now, we heard a few things about the locker room, maybe Ray Allen riffs, and we see a little bit maybe with Doc Rivers, but the Celtics 
Catholics always did such an awesome job of really protecting that information and protecting Rondo the best they could. But man, once he got to Dallas, it was a pretty ugly train. I thought Sacramento wasn't that bad. But now here you've got Fred Hoiberg, and I said before the season started, if there was a, a poll, and I can't remember if it was Chris Forsberg's um, season preview that he did with all the bloggers, but I remember saying it was either him or somebody else doing a preview that Fred Hoiberg would be the first coach to get fired this year because what a setup for disaster. And here they are. They're sliding. They have a losing record. And as we all predicted, they absolutely cannot shoot the ball from beyond the arc. And there's too many ball-dominant, non-shooting three-point uh, three point guards on that team. Yeah, well, and, and of course – we played them early. I think it was the third game, maybe the second game of the season. And they lit the world on Chicago. fire. I think it was disgusting. They lit the world on fire. Oh, it makes me so mad. Look at that retrospect that there's an L next to the Celtics after that because there was an absolutely no reason that they should have been in that spot. Yet somehow, some way, you know, they they pulled the horseshoe out of their butts and 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 it worked out for them. But look, I think. You know, as you said, we knew that this was coming with the Bulls. They signed Rondo and Wade thinking that, I guess, to try to kind of throw some stars at the situation. And it just seemed like it was a really bad idea from the jump. I'm not even sure why they went that route. This is for Bulls fans. They've been long tortured with the front office there. John Paxson and Garth Foreman, two guys that seem to do whatever they can to undo the good stuff that's been happening in Chicago, whether it was Tibbs' efforts there uh, going back a few years, but the drafting of, of uh, Derrick Rose and perhaps whispers that he wasn't working hard enough, and on and on and on we go. They've got Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler has, has made, made so many steps forward as a player. He's playing outstanding. He's one of only a handful of guys in the league who have 35 three-point attempts made and more than 250 free throw attempts. I mean, he's, he's doing it all. He's playing the game that needs the way it needs to be played. But right now he's got, he's surrounded by guards that can't, can't shoot him out of the, hit the side of a barn. And so they've, you know, I guess they're going to try to go through a, a, a youth movement. And that means moving Rondo to the bench. And I feel bad for Rondo. I mean, I think as everyone who's listened to this show for a long time knows, I was a big Rondo guy from back in the day. Unfortunately, the guy has not been able to transition his game from the the you know the speed and and the athleticism he had into a, a more skilled shooting, which is the the hallmark of today's game. He perhaps could have made it in a prior era, but now when when you almost every player on the perimeter has to be able to hit a a thirty a twenty three foot shot. He's not that guy, and so he's gonna he's gonna struggle to find uh, work here. Luckily for him, he's gonna be, he's gonna be paid twenty seven, almost twenty eight million dollars over the next uh, two well, years. So he's gonna he's gonna make some money. Only three That's million it. is guaranteed next season, which was a pretty smart oh, move on I the yeah that. yeah. So the Bulls pretty Indeed. smart move there that even if they do cut bait this year. It makes you wonder if they knew that they wanted to try this experiment and if it didn't work out and they couldn't figure it out that maybe they would, in fact, blow it up. I know we haven't heard the Jimmy Butler rumors as strong to start this season as they were to finish last season, but that is still a possibility and a major off-season topic on Celtic Stuff Live, other podcasts and, you know, previews, season previews alike was, hey, this three guard, really, I mean, let's call Jimmy, I know we can play the three, but he's a guard just the way 
way he handles the ball, you know, more like DeMar DeRozan. Defensively, he can play the three for sure, but you're kind of looking at him as the two guard. And what what were you going to do with these three, you know, really guards, ball-dominant guards? What were you going to do? It was a recipe for disaster. They're three and seven in their last ten. And it makes it look, and I'm going to tie this to the Atlanta Hawks in a second too, John. Uh, a little bit of a back and forth um, on Twitter about this a little bit today or uh, yesterday on Monday. But what I will say is they make it look like to the Chicago fan base they gave it their their good all. You know what I mean? Hey, we, we put our best foot forward. Mm. We brought in Rajon Rondo. We brought in Dwayne Wade. We didn't get rid of Jimmy Butler. We know that would have been an unpopular move, but here we are. So somebody's got to go, and it's either going to be Fred Hoiberg or they're going to blow, and it may be both, uh, but they're going to blow it up. I, I'm almost positive. This slide continues. And I think they put in Michael Carter Williams. Is that who they subbed in for, for yeah. Rondo? Yeah. And yeah. not to great success either. So this is a situation it, he can't that shoot is, either. No, it's the same problem. He can't shoot either. <laughs> it's and see, crazy. to the eye, you would have known this was coming. But, yes. And this is how I'll tie it to Atlanta and the Dwight Howard to replace Al Horford comparison that I'm going to draw coming. here in a second. <laughs> It's all about how it looks. If it looks like you made your best effort, but ultimately you know internally you're going to have to blow it up, then why not make a high-profile signing like Rajon Rondo for $28 million, knowing that you've got to put one last shot at it before the fan base finally says, you know what, we've had it, go ahead and blow it up. We're not going to win with this crew anyway. You might as well trade Butler and... Chicago knows what they could have gotten from Boston, but also knew that the fan base wouldn't put up with it. I mean, that Chicago market is not an easy market, just like Boston's not an easy sports market. The fan base is harsh, and they have been pacified by a Cubs World Series win very recently. So I'm just going to say, I know it's not the same sport, but the fan base is the same. It might make things a little bit easier. I think we're going to hear more and more about Jimmy Butler and trade block as we get towards February. But now let's draw the Atlanta Hawks comparison, which is essentially the same underhanded thing they did. Now, I think they might have been able to sign Al Horford. It looks like they signed. <laughs> underhanded. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. But it is kind of underhanded, right? If it's intentional, it's kind of, you know. I don't. Maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe I'm yeah. getting a no, little. No, no. I uh, like where you're going. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, but if you know, they signed Dwight Howard supposedly because they were worried they might lose Al Horford. But then there's this other part of the puzzle, which is maybe you signed Dwight Howard so it's okay to lose Al Horford and you could get on with the rebuild because they know that they're not going to get there and the team's getting older and thus now we're hearing that Paul Millsap is available for trade. This is pretty early for a team. I know the record's not there. I know they're not seeing the success that they saw last year, but they're more in the playoff hunt than Chicago is and yet they're already talking about blowing it up. They're two games over 500. Sounds to me like maybe this was the intent all along. I know they gave Dwight big dollars, but they got dollars to spend if they're only going to have a youth movement going on. Yeah, so my thought about this, and I'm not just saying this as a as a Celtics fan waiting for the the league to finally start moving things around, but I feel like both. I I can remember seeing a lot of people from Atlanta, and even more, certainly way more people from Chicago, saying, "Blow this up! 
I mean, we're headed we're headed into no man's land. You're letting Powell Gasol go. You're letting you know, you're likely gonna let uh, Derrick Rose go. Let's 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 kick this rebuild off. And for whatever reason, it seemed as though teams went into last summer with the idea of, well, let's run it back and let's try to try to salvage something or keep it going. And it was some sort of false hope that I think is really going to hurt Atlanta and Chicago for some time. You're right in the in the in the sense that Chicago can get out of the money that they're going to give to uh to to Rajon Rondo and and that's 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 great. They're still going to have to pay, you know, Dwayne Wade 23 million this year. He's got a player option for 23 million next year, so he can opt out of that too if they say, "Well, you know what, Rondo's not here. We're going to go young." They can get out of that money, but you're holding off your ability to rebuild one more year. And and maybe the thought was in Chicago's case and maybe a bit in Atlanta's case, we don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. Let's kind of punt on a year. Hopefully maybe we can get some traction. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. If we don't, then we just hit the reset button. We let Millsap go. We let Wade go. We let Rondo go, and we see where it goes from there. I'm just not sure where Jimmy Butler fits. I know where Paul Millsap fits, which is somewhere else than Atlanta. But Jimmy Butler is the harder one because he is that kind of that that era where he's older than some of the young guys that Chicago has. But if they're really going to start a rebuild, you can't imagine Jimmy Butler is a part of that. No, and timing is everything. And I know I've mentioned this on previous podcasts and as it leads up to the trade deadline. I know we haven't seen a lot of activity the last few years. But with a collective bargaining agreement that's about to expire and uncertainty about how the finances are going to play out, it's not surprising that these teams didn't pull the trigger until they knew better what they were going to be dealing with for the next, and I don't know, it was a seven-year agreement, is that what the collective, doesn't it take into 2024? Yeah, yeah I believe so. Yeah. So, or it's a six-year agreement, either way. This is when things start to loosen up because now they know what the future holds for managing the cap, managing salaries, managing the players, the revenue share, all of that. And they can really sit down and begin to grind the numbers and and put together a strategic plan. There's nothing more difficult in business than to lay out a strategic plan when you literally don't even know what your business is going to look like. That's the funny thing about the NBA, right? The collective bargaining agreement and the way that the teams are all working together, it's 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 not a it's a business plan, but but the NBA is a business just as much as each individual team is a business. It's not like you're going to market against competitors and then you're trying to predict market shifts. This is like exactly how the accounting is going to be done. And while there might be minor fluctuations, look at a team like the Celtics. They are literally squeezing every last drop out of this cap so they can make a play for a max free agent this summer. And it only takes a couple of tweaks, like these rookie salaries going up, to have an impact on that. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, that... (laughs) The wide the, the the ripple effects from from what can happen with this CBA are endless, and you can't you can't simply it, it makes sense to to see where that where those waters are going to flow. I mean, you don't want to to jump in too far into that into that other field. I mean, I think you know when you kind of look at the winners and losers of of CBAs and and who's who's really made out in the deal or who hasn't. I mean, one team that in particular the uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder in fact 
have specifically written into the CBA language that they're going to allow Russell Westbrook to get a special dispensation so he can get the this new supermax number. And I I believe the same is true of James Harden. You know, whereas in the last deal, you could argue that that the Oklahoma City Thunder were probably the ones most harmed because it both forced the hands of of moving James Harden and and also eventually gave the the opening that that allowed uh obviously KD to walk out the door. So you know, the winners and losers of this is important, and, and the more you can kind of stay on the sidelines and watch without sticking your neck out so far makes a lot of sense. Boy, brutal losing James Harden, right? I mean, especially coming off uh, just an insane triple-double. Insane. 53 points, 16 rebounds, 17 assists. And I know everybody's like, hey, with a 44-point game and a 52-point game, doesn't Isaiah have to be player of the month for December? But damn, Harden <laughs> made a case, right, on the way out. Wasn't that wasn't that the day before? Wasn't it New Year's Eve, or was it the day it was, before? Yeah, it was the day, well, the day after Isaiah, yeah. I mean, that was – it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> triple-double 50 points. I mean, that – that's just that's sick. That's the sick. That's a sick situation, is what that is. <laughs> you know, and, and KD. I mean, three of the you could argue three of the best four players in the league right now are three of them were in gold. Were in Oklahoma City and LeBron. You know, I mean, that's I, I don't think that's a stretch to say that right now. That that it's it's Harden, Westbrook, uh, KD, and and LeBron. Because I think Steph is. For those who watched the, the Christmas Day game, not a great performance by Steph, not a great year by Steph. He's certainly fallen off his, his MVP pace, which, uh, by a lot compared to last year and, and the year before. You know, he's a rhythm shooter. And, uh, and when you're from deep that far, I mean, when you're shooting that far out from deep in three point land to create space and, and to get that, to get those shots to go down, the volume of shots has to be hurting him a little bit. Um, at the same time, they're probably a better team, right? Because Kevin Durant shooting some of those shots, it's not like Steph is horrible, but there's just no way he can maintain that pace with a reduction in shots or somebody like Clay Thompson becomes disgruntled. So they all had to figure out how to coexist, but it really was offensively for the most part, you know, Clay and Curry. And there's a third person in there and Draymond Green still gotta get his shots. And that really muddies it up in terms of volume. And I'm again I'm not saying Steph has to be a volume shooter. He's still an effective shooter. I'm just saying when you talk about the MVP season, of course there's gonna be a reduction in stats. Absolutely. I mean you, it's just math, right? I mean and it's the same reason why you and I were talking earlier about, well, okay, what's gonna, happen, what's gonna happen? What are, what's Oklahoma City gonna look like this year? You know, how good, uh, or excuse me, Oklahoma City. <laughs> Golden State. What's Golden State gonna be? I mean, are they gonna be just these world beaters that, that no one's gonna be able to, uh, to get in the way of and, and to, to even stand a chance to, to, to you know, to battle and it takes time, right? It takes time to figure your team out. We haven't figured out how to in- incorporate, uh, Steph into things. I mean, there was a, a long stretch there where Clay wasn't really fitting in and then he went off from 69 or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, on like, you know, some ridiculous number of times holding the ball. He actually dribbled the ball eight times the whole game. I mean, those types of things happen. 
they're 29 and 5. They're a great team. But you had a, you had a guy, they were, they were on a better pace last year. How much better can you be by adding Kevin Durant? And this is the thing that, to me, it's like, they're in a point where it's like, can you be more perfect than perfect? And I don't think it can be, you know? So, they're gonna now, they're gonna, they have a thinner bench. They're gonna even have an even thinner bench next year. They're gonna lose Iguodala. They're gonna lose, you know, probably Livingston. They'll lose even more players. They're gonna have to reset their front court once again. It's a tough spot for Golden State, you know, and we saw the same thing happen with Miami. It sounds great at the time. Miami's looking good, looking sharp. And I'm not saying that Golden State won't win the championship. I still think they, they probably are, are, are favorites at this point too, in my mind. But, you know, it's a team game. It still comes down to that. And, you know, boy, Cleveland on, on Christmas Day, they showed that, you know, it's, it's more than just having the most stars on your team. You know, it's, it's having a team that really fits together and, and also to have, LeBron James, uh, it doesn't hurt either, right? Well, that starting five will continue to develop chemistry and get better. I Again, it's hard to get better. Their record's pretty awesome. I know it's not the same pace as they were out last year, but 29-5 is not too shabby in leading the Western Conference and, uh, you know, the entire NBA. So they're doing, they're doing just fine. However, like you said, the bench will get less deep. It really doesn't matter in the playoffs. It's all about that starting five. They'll all play extended minutes where they need the bench help in the next few seasons is maybe they've got to take a few more L's throughout the regular season just so that they're not, well, look at what happened to Curry last year. We really don't want to run mm-hmm. these players down chasing a record during the regular season. I mean, sure, they want to be the number one seed and have home court advantage throughout the playoffs, but as they gain more experience and that starting five gets better, they'll be able to carry themselves through the postseason. So I'm not too worried about that. When we come back, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Western Conference, and then obviously we have to focus on the Celtics as well. Before we head to the mid-break in the show, got to remind you about Blue Apron and their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. And so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And think about this. It's less expensive than going out to eat and it really doesn't take any more time and they do all the shopping for you all the ingredients are delivered to you with seasonal recipes they don't use the same recipe in 12 months and it's less than ten dollars a meal Cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. And I absolutely love the fact that the calories are right there on there for you. So if you're counting calories, you know exactly how much you're getting in each portion. The plated food looks the same as it does in the picture. It's absolutely excellent. You can customize your recipes every single week. There's no weekly commitment. You only get the deliveries when you want them and go to blueapron.com check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping 
That's how we give it back to you by for supporting Celtic Stuff Live. So go to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016 to be able to claim your first three meals for free with free shipping. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And we'll be right back after this word from another sponsor, audible.com. All right, John, so we got a big game tonight against Utah and always love to talk about Gordon Hayward and the Butler connection with Brad Stevens. That one never runs old. We'll get to our predictions a little bit later, but since we were talking about the Western Conference and the Golden State Warriors and their performance, I had another question I wanted to throw at you. We just didn't have time before we hit the commercial break. Who is the bigger surprise out in that Western Conference for you? Is it Houston or Utah? We knew Utah was on the rise, but 21 and 13 coming into the game tonight. But then you have Houston where we thought, all right, Dwight Howard is gone. And sure, we know Harden's good, but can he carry this team? Apparently he can. <laughs> yeah, 55 and 50 or 55, 16 and 17 or whatever it was that redonkulous you know, line he had on New Year's Eve. Now, I, I, I'm putting it on Houston. Um I think that we knew Utah was good and would be good. I think we knew that they would be a playoff team. They were going to make that leap into the next kind of the next into that playoff tier. But Houston right now, I mean, they're they're three and a half games back of Golden State. <laughs> three and a half games back of Golden State. That's that's insane to me. Um, I mean, they're they're just it's it's Harden, it's D'Antoni. And it's a it's the perfect marriage of of a player and a coach's philosophy. I mean, what he did for Steve Nash, turning him into an MVP uh, winner uh, in in Phoenix, and he's doing the same thing for Harden. You know, only he's got a guy who doesn't have the same passing ability, but but certainly as a scorer, he's far more lethal and, and does a little bit more. I, I'm I love I like Utah. I like what they have. I mean, they have some really good players up and down the roster. But what Houston has done off of a really dispiriting, really, I'd say toxic year that they had last year. It was year, horrendous. It, they made such a leap, right? I mean, you got to go with Houston, Justin, right? Yeah, I think you do. And the other comparison I think I would throw is Oklahoma City like did yeah. twenty one and fourteen yeah. for OKC and Russell Westbrook really Harden and Westbrook both in that that real alpha dog role? I don't think we expected to see Harden with so many assists. It's really the playmaking ability that is shocked to everybody. I think they viewed him as a ball hog, same as as Westbrook, right? A ball hog who was having yep. trouble coexisting with his star. And, and again, I'm not disparaging OKC's season because they've done quite well. And we saw what he did in the fourth quarter against the Celtics over the holidays. But to think that Harden's doing it better for Houston than Westbrook's doing it for OKC when it comes to the results in the record is truly amazing. You got a major hat tip. Uh, yes. I mean, I think that there were some that thought, well, will they even make the playoffs in Oklahoma City? Will they even be in the in the mix? I mean, 
one, you've you've got to tip your hat to Billy Donovan too. I mean, he's he's found a way to kind of meld everybody in there. Oladipo, the, the move of Abaca for Oladipo and Sabonis was was huge. As we saw when Oklahoma City came here, Sabonis couldn't miss. Um, and those who remember last year, I was big on Sabonis. I thought Sabonis would be a, a great player, a rotation big. How would this Celtics team you look right now? You didn't think he was going to be bonus. in the starting lineup, though. As much would, as no, high as rotation. You, you said he could be a rotation. How could yeah, you? But well, if I, but he Ooh. would be starting. He would be starting if he was playing for this Celtics club because they got nothing on that big man rotation right now, other than Al Horford. Oh. So you know what I want to say about that too, and then we can go to like a little bit of a look back over the past two weeks since we did our last show because it really starts back on the twentieth with the game against the Grizzlies. But the one thing I'm going to say about the rebounding in this club, and I know Amir Johnson is not an excellent rebounder, but if you look at how, what position the team gets in defensively, the way that they rotate to mask, and again, I'm not picking on Isaiah Thomas here, but and and he had almost a block the other night. I mean, his effort on defense is unquestioned. He definitely puts effort in. But he is a liability, and when the opponents get him into a mismatch, it's almost like Brad just gives him the mismatch sometimes when they put him on the taller player. They're just like, take it. Just take it. Because we've already game-planned it. We just want to know where he's starting from. Rather than yeah. switch, switch, switch and get confused, let's just start there, and then the defense is going to rotate. I think it gets the rebounders out of position on those defensive rebounds, which may be the reason you see Avery Bradley coming in and corralling as many as he does because the other way they have to sort of make up for the rebounds is he comes flying in um, to, to, to try and, you know, get that board. But do you think there's any merit to that, that our bigs are, are pulled somewhat out of position because of the switches and rotations to sort of mask the liability that Isaiah can be on defense? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good call. I mean, I, I, you know, they're, the, the bigs, you know, when we heard this a lot in the early part of the year, the bigs feel their job is to keep the other bigs off the board and allow the, allow the, the smalls to crash, you know, and, and Avery was, was so successful in trying to fill that void. Others maybe not as, not so much in the early going. Now that crowd, you know, with Crowder's return and things have kind of stabilized a bit, still not great, but, but okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think you're right, though. I think that that's that's been his his job has been maybe not to be this this gobbling rebounding monster under there, but to really kind of you know as you said, kind of his responsibilities are elsewhere, but to keep others away, perhaps from killing us on the boards and allow the the, the smalls to kind of come back and and and, and get that possession. It's a tough thing to ask of a guy, and uh, you know I think if with the different set of big men, Sabonis, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, you know it would you maybe would see more of a traditional you know attack towards the basket, or or I should say another traditional big next to Horford, which goes back to the other thing which we've heard a lot of, and Al Horford's sister was saying it again yesterday on Twitter about we need a center to put next to Al. You know, so is I that mean, going to bring up the DeMarcus Cousins conversation again? And, you know, when you look at this list of opponents since we last talked, I'll leave the Grizzlies out. We already talked about Thomas leading that rally with 44 points on that game, and, and the Celtics were down 17, I believe, midway through the third quarter. They were getting their asses handed to them. But then you look at the Pacers game, 
and uh, you know they were 15 and 16. The Celtics take that one, 109, 102, and Paul George is a potential trade mm-hmm. target. Uh, you talked about Cousins. Then, you you know, maybe there's no trade targets in the Knicks, and then they saw Memphis again. Um, but Paul George being being one of those trade targets, and I know we talked about Atlanta earlier in the show too, and maybe we didn't get deep enough into the potential trade target with Paul Millsap. But, but Paul George, do you think there's any realistic chance that he would get traded this season? I mean, they, they aren't having a great year, but he is their their – you know, franchise player. Well, I think we're, I think that we're in a situation with all these guys who are free agents in 2018, right? Where you got Boogie, you've got, uh, Paul George. I mean, those being that Isaiah, <laughs> I guess, but, but he's ours. And I think people want him here. I think with those two guys in particular, that I think those teams are really at a spot where every day, that they don't deal those players. Unless they're, they're assured they're going to stay, every day that they don't trade those players, they're losing value. And if they get to, if they get past the trade deadline, who's going to give up a King's ransom for one of those two guys? I, I see it as, I see it as a, a real difficult ask of a, of a team to shell out a lot. For either guy who is deserving at, in their talent alone is deserving of a great bevy of talent and, and, and to come back to the team that's trading them. But how can you do that? How can you ask for, you know, all the Nets picks and Smart and Crowder and, 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 and when you've got a one year audition here, you, let's say you do a deal for Paul George. And I think Larry would let Paul George go only if out of his cold, dead hands. Uh, I don't see Larry being willing to deal, especially to Danny Ainge at this point, but not let's after say, the Garnett and McHale trade, right, by the way, exactly area 21, <laughs> that, awesome. that little, uh, McHale and, and KG back and forth was excellent. Just to shout so back good. to that. And, you know, I'm a big fan of KG and what he brought to the franchise. So I can't let that opportunity just fly by the wayside. But, um, but absolutely. I think you're right. After that, no way Larry Bird is going to give up Paul George to the Celtics. No, no. I, you know, and I think <laughs> Larry's so stubborn. He's a stubborn SOB, you know. If Paul wants to go somewhere, Larry's going to get every possible win he can get out of Paul George in Indiana. Now, is that the smartest thing to do? No. I think Larry should deal him because I don't think Paul George is going to stay in Indiana. I think uh the Celtics, or I should say, Larry has has tried multiple occasions to try to build a winner there and it hasn't worked. And this year he tried to kind of change philosophy, but I don't think he brought in the great coach to change philosophy, and I don't think that he brought in the players who were going to work. And it and it's it's failing right now. And we saw some comments from Paul George early last week where he was saying, you know, it's something's got to change. It's 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 not good here right now. I'm trying to I'm just trying to be positive. That's not what you want to hear out of your star player, you know. And we know Paul Pierce went through those struggles here many moons ago, over ten years ago. But 
we had assets to make those moves. Larry doesn't have those assets. He's not moving Miles Turner. And he's got a situation where he's got young players and he's got Paul George. And he's not going to be able to leverage Miles Turner to get two other stars around Paul George. So he's going to have to make the other deal that Danny didn't have to make in 2007, which is to move his star player. And I think that yeah, that was close for Danny. You're right. It, we've heard a lot of more information come out about that, where it could have gone the other way. And there was a lot of discussions about, all right, let's get Paul Pierce and KG together. But that didn't mean it was going to definitely happen in Boston. It could have just as easily happened in Minnesota. That's right. And I think, you know, just kind of going back to the whole issue with Horford there, I to me, Paul George is the perfect fit of any of the guys out there right now. I love I love the idea of having the talent of Boogie next to Horford, but I also see where the game's going, and I worry about spending $60 million in my cap on two guys, one of which may not be on the floor in crunch time. I hate the idea of, of, of d- devoting that. I'd love to say that the game's going to change and we'll go back to post-play, and we'll be dominant because we'll have the two best post players on one team in the league. But I'm not there yet, and it didn't work for Memphis. So to me, and I don't know about you, but my feeling is if you could put a Paul George in there and put him next to Horford, Horford can suck it up for, for the 15 minutes where he has to play the five, whether it's to close out a game or, or to, 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 to match up a certain way. But you still can go out there and spend $10 million on a decent big uh, I'll, I'll, rebound and defend. A, Park, a Kendrick Perkins of the modern age, if no, you will. Let, let no, let Kelly Olenek slide into it. What you want is room for Isaiah Thomas and Paul George to continue to create space and to be able to attack the basket. I mean, if you're talking about inverted offense and you're talking about bringing in Paul George, then what the heck? I mean, it's probably going to cost you Crowder, right? We, we You're probably going to have to give up another three. So maybe the lineup looks like Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, and Paul George. I mean, it's hard to say. Maybe it's Marcus Smart, but I think you're going to have to give up somebody of value. And, and Jay Crowder still has a lot of value and a lot of room to grow in his game. And so I could see him being given up. Plus, he plays the same position. But I think you're talking about, you know, maybe at that point, you you go ahead and say Kelly Olynyk's a decent uh, team defender. You run him out there, and then he and Horford just space it all out. Defensively, um, you know, maybe you take a little bit of a hit, but if you can make it up on offense and not have Isaiah take such shoulder such a, an immense amount of the load, and you if it is if it is Crowder and maybe a pick or whatever, and you're able to keep Marcus Smart, you've still got that that multi-guard lineup that you can run out there if it's not Olenek. And and like you said, then you put Horford at the center. I think Horford can still play power forward. I don't see, you know, yeah, we, we talk a lot about trading for Nurkic and Jokic and trying to get in somebody who can pass and rebound. But I think some of it is schema, which is, you know, which was my point earlier. And I think another thing is, if you bring in another scorer, why wouldn't you then insert Kelly Olenek into that starting lineup? And I know there were calls for Jarebko to move into the starting lineup, and while he deserves it, I think Amir Johnson and Jarebko off the bench, just that veteran stabilizing front court presence would be really good for some of the younger guards that are trying to carve out a niche. And obviously in any trade for Paul George, there's a lot of young talent going out. Um, in that situation as well. So the roster gets thinned out, and there's opportunity for some of these players to emerge. 
I, I, and as you know, I mean, I like the idea of Kelly in the front court. We talked about that in the start. I, I think that the problem, though, with putting Kelly next to Horford in that role is I think he's the bruiser, right? I think he's the, I think the guy you have as the start, as the center next to Horford really has to be the, the guy who can deal with the, the Marcus Sauls and the, the Joy Kim Noahs and, and, those type of centers. Only I mean, situationally, those guys aren't going though, away. I'm not sure Only Kelly can situationally, do that. and I think that's where something that Mike Gorman said on our interview a week ago with him that really resonates, which is maybe somebody like a Jamichael Green, somebody who can come in and do the work. You're yeah. Jay Crowder for right. the five position, but that's situational. I think day in and day out, you can actually get away with Kelly Olynyk and that starting lineup, spacing it out, and it's maybe not how you finish a game, but it, it definitely isn't a bad way to start a game, allowing Isaiah and George to begin to develop their confidence and establish themselves. It's probably a pipe dream anyway, but this team is definitely one piece away, and we saw that on Christmas Day in the game against Cleveland. I know everybody wants to make it out like, hey, the final score, 124 to 118. Boston got within points of Cleveland in a major, major fourth quarter comeback. And while I'd love to throw kudos at the Celtics, for that comeback and just say, hey, these teams are close. The comeback was nice, but it was mostly bench players, and Cleveland fell asleep at the wheel. Let's be honest. They had complete control of that game. They almost did get bit in the ass. They almost let it slip away, and the Celtics did almost pull off the impossible thanks to uh, – you know, an injury. I believe Kyrie Irving wasn't finishing the game on the floor, which definitely right. helped, uh, would have helped them maybe steal one. But let's be honest. Cleveland was in control. The Celtics are still really one piece away, in my opinion. They are. Yeah. I, the, and there was a little bit of debate going on today on Twitter about this because, you know, look, there's been a lot of talk about the Celtics and how good they really are. And look, I, I'm, I'm frustrated with what the results to this point. I gotta be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm not happy with where they've been. I feel like this is a team that even with the injuries, they've underachieved a bit. I expected that, you know, out of one of these nine games or so that they've had, Oklahoma City, Houston, San Antonio, Golden State, Cleveland, Toronto, the, the, the class of the, the, the league, I'd say. And, Aside well, from they're the not on against, pace to do better than last season. They're on pace for forty-eight wins. But so, I think, the, but that's, but they've had a hard schedule. I, I'll give them that. I'll give them that piece. But, but I think that I would expect one win out of those. I mean, they beat they beat Memphis twice. That's good. Those are good wins. But they haven't had a great win, and they need a great win against a great team. And they're not going to play it. Great teams. I mean, they're going to play Toronto, right? They'll play them in, in, in January. There's a shot to, to kind of say, hey, look, we're for real. But they really haven't. We say that every them. year, and they hand it to the Celtics. I know. That's what I mean. It's just if we're looking for them to be the two seed, I, I feel like right now they're going to be the three seed, and that's fine, but no further. There won't be a second playoff win. They're going to win one playoff series and out. Right now, I think now we can last they reach their game next level? That's what I'm waiting for, and I haven't seen it yet. And I'm hoping that we do. I'm hoping we do. 
I think they will get better just by what you said, virtue of health and the fact that the schedule finally lightens up. They did really an amazing job to get that win against Miami after, what, their sixth game in nine nights, and they were on the second half of a back-to-back. That that was an impressive performance by Thomas to make sure that they got the win. But they are going to get better. The schedule is going to get easier. With health, they will develop better chemistry. We've already seen the improvements defensively over the last two weeks, a huge uptick in that perimeter defense. And I know we talked about it before, but they were essentially overplaying the defenders. They were over-aggressive playing the opponent. And especially in that backcourt defense, the guards, the strength of this team. So that will all improve. It's just interesting because uh, they're facing a team tonight, again, in the Utah Jazz, that are actually a game better than they are. And I think when we last talked, I said, I know this team is going to separate themselves, you know, to that third spot from the from the middling pack. And I and I truly believe that and I think that will only happen because of everything we just talked about with health and schedule. They are going to establish themselves as the number 3, but I don't think they're going to leapfrog into that 1 and 2. And then, you know, you want to talk about trade targets and trade conversation. There's no way in hell that the Utah Jazz are going to trade Gordon Hayward. Uh, they may no. lose him in free agency, but that's also doubtful. I'm, I'm more and more, as much as I would love to see him reunited with Brad and, and on this club, and, and I don't know if you saw his dunk off the wrong foot like about a week ago, a week and a half ago, but it is no. incredible. His athleticism is absolutely nuts. He's a true scorer. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can distribute the ball. He can score. I think he would be a great fit. I can't wait to watch him play again tonight. But really, that's a complete team effort there. And they still have a starting lineup that's been a little bit of a revolving door, and yet they're a game better than the Celtics. I th- I think that I think you're right that the idea of trading for him is would be a foolish thing. Uh, we I I'd love to have seen Al Horford traded for last year. I was talking, oh yeah, we want Al Horford when that didn't happen. Then well. Obviously, the Celtics didn't want him. They, you know, they, they saw some issues. No, that wasn't at all. It's that they knew he was going to go to free agency, and they thought they had a shot at him. Why spend the assets towards something that you could get for relatively for free? Obviously, obviously, other than a hundred million or dollars or so, you know, that they they saw that that the value there was was much greater to take the risk, and it worked out for them in the end. Uh, I do think he'll be free. Um, and it's, it's largely due to, to salary, the, the luxury tax, because they're gonna they're gonna pay Gobert, they're gonna pay favors. I, I think they may pay George Hill before they end up paying uh, Gordon Hayward. And he's, I think Hayward is a type where he's he's a Swiss Army player, but he's jack of all trades, master of none. Is perhaps the way may Utah may be viewing him right now. Now the Celtics could use a guy who's a jack of all trades and master of none, and and with the potential to become a master of of many more. The Celtics have a have a better place for that right now than perhaps Utah does. He fits in well with what they do. I'm not saying he's not a good player for them, but I think when you look at the tax. Utah has never been a team that's wanted to pay the tax. They've let Millsap go. They let Al Jefferson go. They've let other te- other players go. And as Cantor was like another guy they let go. So 
they're going to have to make a really hard decision as to whether or not you know they want him as opposed to maybe Derek Favors. Derek Favors is a guy who who maybe fits a little bit not is ill fitting for tomorrow's NBA. He's not a three point shooter. He's a six nine rebounder. He'd look good here for sure, just like uh, you know Gordon Hayward would. But is that the type of guy that you know you're going to want to spend a lot of money on again in today's NBA? Tougher decision. I want Hayward. I'd love to have him here. I think he's going to be a free agent. I think we stand a good ch- chance to get him. But if if uh, you know the things turn the right way and Paul George is, uh, is out there, you know Danny's going to make that call before he goes after a guy like Gordon Hayward. Yeah, it's cool that he's an unrestricted free agent. So there's definitely plenty of drama there. And who knows? Maybe maybe they would work out a trade. We do know one thing. If they do make a deal at the deadline, it is going to likely hamper their ability to bring on a max free agent. The great thing about Hayward and his unrestricted free agency is we've talked about the different tiers of max free agent depending on the years of experience. And I think Hayward slots into just the right spot where there would be uh, potentially plenty of money left. And the other thing is, is if they make a trade, or let's say they do sign a max free agent, they're going to have to renounce Kelly Olenek. They won't have Amir Johnson. They won't have Jarebko. That front court gets super-duper thin. And one of the other debates that we had in the last couple of weeks, John, on Twitter was around players like Antti Zizic and Gershon Yabuselli coming over to the team. Comcast Sportsnet New England tweeted out that there was a good shot that they could see those two players, that the organization could see those two players on the team next year. And I kind of thought, that's a no-brainer. I know our Twitter conversation went another direction. But to (laughs) me, it's really not hard to see it. If they make a trade at the deadline, then ultimately they're going to probably add salary in terms of long-term salary by doing that. So that's going to hamper their ability to get a max free agent, and it's going to hamper their ability to bring some of these veteran players back. And so they're going to have to round out the roster with young guys. And the two draft picks from last year are big men and at a position of need, and Zizic especially, who could be a rebounder. The other way to go with this is they hit the offseason – and they do sign a max free agent. Again, you've got these some of these veterans who are not going to be able to come back. The team's going to have to round out the roster much in the same way that they did when they traded for Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. And then all of a sudden you saw Rajon Rondo and a Kendrick Perkins in the starting lineup. I'm not saying we'll see Zizic and Yabuselli in the starting lineup, but it's pretty hard not to see them uh, come over and join the club next year. So uh, who knows? Things could change pretty dramatically when you look at the roster between this year and next year. But hey, Hayward, Hayward would be the right fit salary-wise in terms of a max player in the offseason. Yeah, because he, he, he kind of connects the dots for the team. You know, He kind of adds that, that wing defender, that wing guy who can play the three, who can you know, add some size here in the backcourt if needed. He can, he can do a lot of different things. And if you do trade a player, it's not like you're, you've lost something because you have Gordon Hayward – he can do, he, he can play, he can play shooting guard, he can play small forward. You know, if you move Crowder, well then you're one less small forward, but you've got other players. I mean, he just, he fills so many different places for the Celtics. He does what, what 
what we wanted or I suppose in, in our wildest dreams, Evan Turner with a three-point shot. Turner. Yep, I exactly. knew you were going to go there. Evan Turner yeah. with a three-point shot. Evan and Turner for today's great. game. Yeah. And, you, you know, you let him go in the second unit. You know, it, it, you know, you stagger your, your lineup such that, you know, Hayward's kind of your second unit, you know, kind of, you know, create some little offense, create some things there. You still got smart there to, to, to kind of reduce play the burden on Horford when Isaiah Thomas comes out of the game, which right. is huge. Cause right now it's, it's got to, it's like an on off switch. Like one of those guys have got to be on the floor and the ability to, to, to have that third piece is huge. Now, there's the other part of this question, which is, does a team centered around Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward, are they a championship contender? Now, you need you need one of the That's young problem, players right? to emerge. You need right. one of the young players to emerge in that case, um, probably salary-wise, too, because it will be really hard to add another piece. And, and who knows? They could add another piece. You could see a Golden State-type move if they could package whatever's left and and really make a play at another another player should they become available but i think ultimately you're looking for a young player to to really make it happen at that point you never know who they can pick up though with you know mid-level exception type money to round out the roster it kind of depends on how everything comes together um as we kind of wrap the show, John, I don't know if you wanted to add another piece to that before we make our predictions for the three games on deck before we come back next Monday with our next well, show. Just real quick on, on what you were just saying, because you're absolutely right. you got to look from within, and that's why it's so important why you can't trade. If Al, if you think Gordon Hayward's your guy and you have to – you have to, you, know, you want to try to get him, that's why you can't trade those Brooklyn picks because those are your best shot. At getting that player from, to develop from within, really to create a Miami situation in 2006 where you had a team there, but you had that young star, that uber star to kind of push things to the next level. For us to be able to be in Miami 2006 league, you gotta have that guy. And whether it's, it's Markel Fultz out of Washington or it's Jalen Brown or it's the guy in 18 that we have, you know, whoever it is. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the, I suppose the backing of where you're headed, which is maybe those guys, maybe Horford, Hayward and, and, and Isaiah aren't that top tier guy, but if they can make a good team and you can have that Uber star push you over the edge, as we saw with Miami in 2006, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the, aren't you talking about Jalen Brown? You might be talking about Jalen Brown. <laughs> I'm always talking about Jalen Brown. This is the longest we've gone on the show without me talking about Jalen Brown. It's been an hour. <laughs> had some good games though. He's had he's he's, you know, he's really playing within himself at this point. Yep, right. He is now playing smart. Yeah, um, and he doesn't yes. look as reckless. He yep. knows his role. He really facilitated one of Isaiah's shots the other night. Yep. That was huge because he got that ball out into the corner and then I think it was Jerebko skipped it over to to Isaiah. But that was – he's had a couple of plays like that over the last couple of weeks where he had some court vision to keep the ball moving. He looked a little bit more as if he was the black hole in the earlier going this year. He was – no, you're right. I've seen that that progression from him too. I think defensively too he's – 
He's much more solid. Um, I think he's he's out there thinking a lot. We saw a couple of those alley oops uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I'm not sure which game it was at this point, but they were you know they threw a couple alley oops his way, and and neither one of them really connected. And that's the sign of a guy who we know we can throw it down when he's got the ball. We know we can throw it down. That's just a guy who's still trying to who's thinking, not playing. You know, and that's that's where he is right now. Let's see where he is next year. Let's see where he where he is. I think I told you. I want to. I I think we will really start to see the flashes come after the trade deadline. I think he needs two thirds of the season. You know, they don't get a lot of practice time coming out of training. I mean, yeah, out of training camp. And so you've the nice thing that Brad's done with him, and then we'll just preview the week and close out the show. The nice thing that Brad's done with him is just meter out regular minutes. Not lots of minutes all the time. When he's earned them or the matchup's dictated, he gets a little bit extra. But he's always metered out four or five minutes just to keep him in rhythm. Whatever he's studying, whatever he's learning, he's obviously in the playbook. Here's a chance to go just get a few reps and do it. And he's key. I, there's a reason for that. Brad's a mastermind. He definitely will go down as far as the last two coaches are concerned as the one much more capable of developing a youthful player into an established role on the starting lineup without it being forced upon them a la Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins. And you know, I'm a doc apologist, but that has always been a fair criticism is not getting the young players out there so that they're ready when when their number's called. And I think Brad has done a very good job with that. Terry's been sitting a little bit, but he got run for a while. I think he's a mastermind, especially when you talk about how deep the roster is. Looking ahead to the week, tonight we got Utah. Then a couple of days off. I mean, this this schedule did lighten up. Sure, there was a back-to-back this week, but on the front end, you've got the Sixers Friday night, and then you've got the Pelicans on Saturday night, neither of which, I mean, yeah, Anthony Davis, he scares me. We almost dropped one to them. Um, no, we did drop one, right? Didn't we lose yeah. one to the Pelicans earlier? I don't think yeah. they'll drop it again. I think I actually think this will be my first undefeated prediction. No hedging. <gasps> I think they take it tonight. I'm going three and zero, oh, and I I know we didn't get to make some predictions. And I can't remember what they were. You know, heading into heading into Christmas, I'm pretty sure I said two and one uh, with a loss on uh, Christmas Day, but I I can't remember how that all lined up. But I think that's what I said. But forget looking back. Let's just look forward. It's 2017. I think they started off right. 3-0 and uh, this week before you and I come back and, and take a look back. What do you think? Debbie Downer over here. Um, <laughs> You're going 1-2. and two. We can't possibly agree. And this I'm isn't going... contrived. I just want the fan base no. to know this is no. not contrived. You're really going Debbie Downer on me. I'm, well, I, it's two and one, Debbie Downer. I don't know. I, 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 you think they lose to Utah or the Pelicans? I think, I think they lose to Utah. No, I, I don't think they're going to lose the Sixers and Pelicans. I, I, you know, first of all, Smart's, Smart's out. Zeller is probably out. Um, James Young's out. Since when was Zeller a factor? The fact that you even had to mention that. Is I, you know, although he did Zeller have a nice game good. the other night. Yep. Zeller has a good game, one every six games. I've, I'm charting this. Um, not really, but he, he now that's he, some advanced metrics right there. He has his game. There is a game every so often where he shows, and the rest of it just forget it. Um, I, 
I just feel like Utah's playing well. They blew the doors off the Nets. I think they're going to be rested. I'm just not feeling good about the Celtics right now against good teams. Celtics have traditionally not done well after a layover and especially after a bunch of games off after a hard stretch. There is a hangover effect that is going to be uh, a little bit of a concern in tonight's game. And even if you look at the win streak, Utah's got four in a row. They're seven and three in their last ten. But the Celtics are also seven and three. Sure, they've only won one in a row after the Cleveland loss. But um, but both teams are streaking right now. You know, like Frank the Tank. They're streaking. <laughs> they're going streaking. Uh, yeah, we're going on the quad. We're going streaking. Uh, yeah. I think that I think this is going to be a good month for the Celtics. Uh, there's a lot of bad teams they're playing this month. Not a lot of good teams they're playing. They do have Houston. They do have Toronto up this month, but a lot of trash. Um, I think they're going to have a real good record at the end of the month. I'm just not sure that they've shown that they can defend. Right now, they haven't given up. They've, they there isn't been a the last time they gave up under 100 points was December 18th against the Heat, which we already talked about how bad they were. Um, that's not great to me. This a team that's that's been making its bones or needs to be making its bones on defense. It's been two weeks since they've held a team under under two under 100 points, and they've had some bad teams they've played in that stretch too. The Knicks aren't so good. The Pacers aren't so good. <laughs> the Heat twice. I mean, uh, come on. So I'm 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 going two and one. I think they'll 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 blitz the Sixers. They'll beat the hell out of the the Pelicans. But I don't feel good about tomorrow night or tomorrow. I should say tonight in Utah. Well, we'll see. I I kind of do. I kind of yes. do. But but we'll have to wait and see. And that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next Monday morning. The broadcast is available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin. That's me. John is at CSL underscore Duke. A thanks to everybody for tuning in. And you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We want you to give us a rating and a review. Your feedback's important. We want to improve the show. We want to make sure we're delivering the content and the topics that you want to hear from us each and every single week. Today's show brought to you by Audible.com as well as blueapron.com and zip recruiter they've got a great deal for all of you listeners but most importantly you'd be supporting our show and the clns radio network a thanks to the loyal audience making it all worthwhile and for staff writer samuel elias executive producer larry h russell the founder of clns radio nick gelso and my co-host john duke i'm justin poolin thank you for listening to this week's edition of celtic stuff live Celtic stuff live.